following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 1015 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. You know what? Sometimes finding just right, it's just not that easy. You know what I mean? Just just right. Because there's sometimes when you walk into a situation or after a lot of work and you do find something that is just right, it feels so good. I mean, just the right house, just the right car, just the right job, just the right girlfriend, young men. And if you do find her, marry her, okay? All right. If you find her, you marry her. Just the right pet. Just the right Christmas present. How many of you, by show of hands, just nailed it this year? You cannot wait for that person to open that gift because you know you knocked it out of the park. We got a hand here. You're setting the bar high for yourselves, especially you got it for somebody who's here, so you better be careful, all right? Okay, okay. We, did it, how many of you are not done Christmas shopping yet? Uh, men, man, man, woman. All right, but Katie, it's been kind of a crazy few weeks, all right, all right. Um, Yeah, just the right gift. Sometimes that is so hard to do, all right? This is something, guys. Our Heavenly Father, okay? Believe it or not, He is looking for just right as well. But before we take a closer look at that, a little bit of review, of refresh. We're hitting. We're going to hit the. We're going to hit the refresh button here just a couple times. Okay, I know that's even old school. We don't. I mean, anyway, okay. All right. So here we go. When it comes to being called to put ourselves in an approved place before God, that He can use us when He has a job for us, these are what things we need to do, according to Paul writing to. Timothy and Titus. This, good reputation. Yes, reputation does matter. All right? Don't, don't let the past bring us down. We can't do that. God's more concerned about our future reputation than our past reputation. But reputation does matter. Moral purity does matter. God has some pleasures in this world that are reserved for the marriage. All right? You're not there? Don't do it. Wait till you get married. All right, if you are married, you stay faithful to your spouse. That is important, incredibly important. Don't let the world tell you it's not. Wisdom, all right? To come to an understanding and come to the, to the mindset of knowing that this world is not our home. Guys, that makes all the difference in the world. A week like we've just had as a church body. It makes all the difference of the world saying goodbye to people we love when we understand this is not home and this is not the end. Prudent. Prudent, what is that getting at? We've already talked about moral purity. Now, prudent is this. It's also kind of a wise. It's an outlook. It's having a correct perspective of God and his place, ourselves and our place, and everybody else's place. Respectable. JB talked to us about that one, and it's this. Our words and our actions align. Okay, you, got, you don't have one in right field, one in left field. They're in both, both together, okay, and that is important. Hospitable. Using our resources, specifically in this case, using our homes to bring glory to God and to advance His kingdom. Being able to teach. 
And understand this. We talked about this with, with, the, with our celebration service of Daryl's life on Friday. Because Daryl was a teacher, okay? Most teaching that it takes place in this world, most learning that we do in this world does not take place in a classroom. No, don't get me wrong. We've all had some good teachers and that's important. But the majority of learning we do takes place outside the classroom. And you and I are teaching all the time. What are we teaching to the people we are teaching? Being able to teach. Addicted to God alone. All right? I truly believe that we are born as addicts. What we choose to be addicted to is huge. That place is reserved for God. He's the one we go to. All right? Um, continuing on. Working, now this is an interesting one, working to not be selfish, because, man, that's a tough one right there. It's not like, don't be selfish, because, man, that, that's, that's a tough one, all right? But working at it, to not be self-centered. Um, handling anger correctly, and Paul covers that twice, okay? In our anger, we do not sin, okay? Being gentle with people, especially when we're bringing the truth, to people, because boy, I'll tell you what, we can take the truth and we can beat somebody to a bloody pulp with it, all right? But we are told to bring it with a gentle heart. Um, JB talked about this one, and I was a little jealous of him because this, this is a great one. He did a great job with it, talking about being peacemakers, coming into difficult situations with the goal of bringing peace. That's why that is difficult. That's why it takes God to help in those situations. That's why people who do that will be called the children of God. Being cheerful givers. If you want to overcome materialism, and that's difficult in our society because we have an incredibly materialistic society, all right? And if you want to overcome that, what did Jesus say? It's harder for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than a rich person to get in the kingdom of heaven. You want some help? Develop and cultivate a generous heart and be cheerful about it. Boy, this is a big one. Leading our children to heaven. There's no bigger responsibility as us as parents in this world than that. And then last week what we talked about was loving God by loving what he loves. Right? And, and that's going to filter its way into what we're looking at today. Turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. We bounce back and forth from 1 Timothy 3 to Titus 1. These parallel passages, okay? Paul wrote to both Timothy and Titus. They were both his, his, his young apprentices, if you will. All right? going to start in Titus 1 7 it'll be near the end of your old of your New Testament very good grief near the end of your Bible okay all right we're going to bounce around a little bit today but this is where we'll start just begin with verse 7 it says for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward not self-willed not quick-tempered not addicted to wine not pugnacious not fond of sordid gain but hospitable loving what is good sensible and just just. What's just mean? What is that getting at? Well, I can tell you what it means in the, in the Greek. The Greek word for just, and it's, it's, it's translated in a couple of different ways. We'll look at that closely, is dikaios, all right? And it's very closely connected to another word we find in our Bible, specifically in the New Testament, some of the Old Testament as well, and it's this. This word is often translated as righteous. Righteous. 
Why don't you turn over quickly to Romans. Now we'll come back to Titus here as we wrap things up today. Why don't you turn over to Romans chapter 1. We looked a little bit of this in Sunday school this morning, didn't we, Bill? Romans chapter 1. Man, I'll tell you what. You should go to Romans 1, 16. Man, there's some power there, guys. All right? That's, a, that's memory work stuff right there, okay? Romans 1, 16. But let's not stop with 16. Let's move on to 17. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness, there's our word, of God For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous, there we go, man shall live by faith. Now guys, we're going to move through this very quickly today. What we need to understand is when the Bible is talking about being just or being righteous, when it's talking about us and just and righteous, the Bible has two main points, all right? Understand that. It's very, very, very important. A lot of you have met my dad. They're not here this week. They kind of, my brother-in-law preaches at Westside Christian Church, and they, they bounce back and forth. Westside, Deering, Westside, Deering. And this is Westside Week, all right? So I can talk about dad. I don't talk about dad when it's Deering Week, all right? But he's gone, so I can talk about him. All right. My dad, if you see my dad, he's a monster of a man. Okay, I mean, six feet four, you know, weighs about 235 pounds. You're like, what? Did he die and your mom marry somebody else? Because the guy that comes to church uh, at Deering every other week, and and you're, I'm just kidding. My dad's about 5'10", and he weighs, um, used to weigh soaking wet, 133 pounds. My mom is so happy because he's up over 150 now, and he's got a little bit hanging, got a little bit of belly hanging over the belt. And she's like proud of him. Isn't that weird? I mean... Most wives, that's not, they're not like proud of that, but, but my mom is proud of that. She's like, yes, my baby, all right? By the way, my mom could pick my dad up and throw him out of this room if she wanted to, and they were here, okay? So I'm a little bit taller than my dad, and I get that from my mom's side of the family. Now, my dad is, 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 is incredible of a physical specimen he is now. I know it's hard to believe that he was the same height as a senior in high school and weighed 118 pounds, Okay? And he decided his senior year, at the, at the encouragement of his very good friend, who was a very big young man, to play football. All right? Football in central Mississippi. All right? That's where, that's where my dad grew up. All right? And, and so what we have here is my dad playing football. Now, my dad was born with glasses about that thick. Okay? All right. So you take those suckers off, and he can't see anything. I mean nothing. And back then, they didn't have the nice goggles. I mean, my, my, I don't, did they have contacts in the 1700s? I'm not sure. Did they? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Don't tell. See, you can tell he's not here today. All right. Um, well, so he could not wear his glasses. So the only position that the coach would put him was backup center. All right? So that's 118-pound backup center and um see this is a funny thing my dad's really good buddy now my dad was backup so he played on the b team you know and so they would play against the a team defense because 
this is high school football in small towns, so if you're good, you play both offense and defense. You, we understand that, all right? So, so he's lining up against his buddy, all right, who could make four of him, all right? And now, okay, some of you who know my dad well are going to laugh at this because it's just the truth. My dad's a little bit of an analyzer, okay, just a little. Um, to tell you how to, to do a job would take, some people about 30 seconds it takes my dad about an hour and a half okay and but that's just my dad he analyzes everything and he figured out how he was going to block in practice his buddy he did a pretty good job of it and his buddy who who more than doubled him in size could not get past him in rushing the quarterback and the coach got on to him he said i don't remember i don't know the guy's name he said you, now, it's, it's, it's Mississippi. They don't call him Lewis. They called him Louie, all right? Louie, all right? And the coach is like, you got, son, you going to let Louie block you? Look at him. If you can't let Louie block you, we're going to do one of a real big person's in front of you. All right, so, so he's starting to get a little frustrated, but he's good friends with my dad. He doesn't want to hurt him at the same time. So finally, about the fourth time the ball snapped, he literally picked my dad up, put him to the side, and rush the quarterback, all right? That's, that's my dad, all right? One year of football, his, his big, no college scholarships came his way, you know, not, not in the field of football anyway. You know, um, it's so interesting when you talk sports, especially when you talk sports with middle-aged men who haven't played sports competitively, and I'm not talking about church league softball, okay, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so, so they haven't played for a long time, and, and it's, it's amazing when you hear these stories. And I always wonder, I always wonder when I'm talking to them, I was like, were they really as good as they say they were, you know? And, but what comes up in those conversations is this, is this, what position did you play? What, 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 what about you? What, what position did you play? When it comes to positions on the football field, tell me the difference between two things, all right? Are there, is there a difference between these two statements? Talking to a middle-aged guy, talking about football career back years ago. I was a quarterback, okay? And I was the quarterback. Is there a difference between those two statements? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're saying that, that I was... All right, I'm throwing it. I'm throwing it out to you, JB Baker Mayfield. All right, Woo. all right. Or I was a quarterback. You see, the position matters, and it, the difference between a quarterback, like my dad was a center. Okay, he was the center. He was a center. All right. The difference between being a quarterback and the quarterback has a lot to do with dedication size, all right, and skill. Am I something in name only? Am I a quarterback or was I the quarterback? I've got a question for you. Ask, ask yourself a question here just for a second. Am I just? Am I righteous on your best days how would you answer that question 
If you asked it of yourself, am I just? Am I righteous? What about, what about this? What about your worst days? Am I just? Am I righteous? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just going to be a few pages over from Romans, all right? Because there's something, when it comes to the Bible and just, when it comes to the Bible and righteous and speaking about us, there's two things. And this first one is so incredibly important and we can never forget it. Ever. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this. By his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The church in Corinth was kind of a cocky bunch, okay? I mean, they just flat were kind of an arrogant people. And it seems like Paul wrote two letters to him, and it seems like Paul had to remind them more than any other church that he wrote to in our New Testament. He had to remind them more than the others of their reliance upon God. He says, where is their boasting? Where is their arrogance? Because we have done nothing to earn a righteous place before God. Who makes us righteous? And this is righteous truth number one. Don't miss it. We are more than forgiven when we come to Jesus. Okay? I mean, Bill talked about that this morning during the communion meditation, the very first gospel sermon ever preached. So we can, if we don't get the full grasp of what takes place when we come to Jesus, we could misunderstand. Because, because Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a big part of the story. It's not the whole story. The whole story is this. When we come to Jesus, we are not only forgiven, we are made right before God. We become righteous people, not by our doing. We are put in the position by God himself of being able to survive meeting him face to face one day. Understand, every one of us will meet God face to face. And without Jesus, we will not survive that encounter. I don't care if we've already died and been remade. I mean, I mean, you just, you just cannot, unless you are righteous, we, you and I, cannot come into the presence of God and survive it. It is by God's doing that we are made righteous. This is called, in the fancy terminology, positional righteousness. Okay, so what position you play back when you're in high school? All right, I was righteous. All right, not by my doing, by God's. Okay, we have to understand that, and also understand this: 
this possessional righteousness, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot get ourselves to a righteous place no matter how hard we try. God does it for us. And when it comes to the just, the righteous that Paul's talking about in Titus 1, 8, it's a different type of righteous and just. So understand that. First thing, first righteous truth, God makes us righteous. Are you anything by name only? No question for you. Are you a shopper by name only? Are you a golfer by name only? Be honest. All right. Are you a crafter? Are you pretty crafty? You put things together by name? Are you truly a crafter? Are you a hunter? Are you a farmer? Are you a rancher? You know, um, we have some really good friends up in north central Kansas, um, the Full Hags, um, Sherry, Sherry Hobart's um, parents. And um, Donna and I have had the privilege of getting to know them quite well. And they have a good friend. And I can talk about it because he's a long ways away. And uh, he wouldn't mind it anyway. He's quite a fella. All right. And he is the guy that I tried to describe to you that my dad was. He is like 6'6 and weighs like close to 300 pounds. Just a big old dude. All right. And his name's Steve. And he's, he's, he's friends with the full hags. And he is, he is a character. I'll tell you what. He lives about two and a half miles away from them. And how we've gotten to know them is when we go up to the folks, we go up and we go deer hunting. We didn't do it this year, but we go up there some and we do that. And um, we deer hunt some on his place. And when he talks to us about his place, this is the kind of things he says. He says, oh, there's a stand up in the lower pasture that you're welcome to use. It's my brother-in-law's, you know, but he's only here for, for a while and he's a rifle hunter. So you're, you're welcome to use it. And then you'll hear stuff like this. Now, don't walk through the feedlot. While you're, going, while you're going down there to, to that stand, okay? And then he'll, you can cross the back acreage if you, know, if you need to get to the creek bottom on the back side to the neighbors. But you're welcome to do that, okay? And as he's talking to you, in the back of your mind, you're just like, you're trying hard not to laugh. Because you've got to understand, Steve owns two acres. Two. Two acres, Okay? And he loves his farm. He loves his two acres. Chuck's met, met Steve before. Interesting man. Good man. Good man. There's nothing wrong with Steve. He's a great guy. Matter of fact, our, you know, the Full Hags, they're Steve fans. They, they just adore this guy. Help you out in a pen. I mean, I don't know if I would call Steve really, truly a rancher. Two acres. He's got two pigs that live in his house with him and his wife. Okay. He's got a couple mini horses, dogs, occasionally a cow or two. They just fattens up, butchers them. He's like, I can't butcher me, I'll tell you that. I don't know if I'd call him a farmer or a rancher, though. He but to to Steve, absolutely. But everybody else looks and it's like there are times there's nothing wrong with being something kind of in name only. Okay? But there are times when it can be disastrous. The other just, we, we've looked at just number one. To get into a righteous place, we can't do that on our own. God does it for us. But that's not the end of righteousness, okay? 
And the other righteousness, the one that the one that Paul says, this person answering the call of God must be just, must be righteous. You're like, well, it's already taken care of by God. What's he even getting at? No, there's a different, there's another story to just and righteous. Story number two. And it is defined for us in Titus chapter three. A little bit later in Paul's letter to his young protege, Titus. Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, you could write, right beside, if you like to write in your Bible, right beside chapter 3, write deeds or write practical day-to-day living, okay? Because this is where where the letter gets really, really practical, all right? We're going to look at the first two verses of Titus chapter 3. It says this. He says, remind them, speaking of the church, he's working with the church in Crete, the island of Crete. And he says this, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign, which means to slander, no one, to be uncontentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So what is Paul telling Titus to tell the people, the church of Crete? Be ready for every, be ready for every good deed. Treat everyone with all consideration. And I'm just highlighting two things out of there. He's talking about day-to-day life. He's talking about the just life. And, and then he even follows it up. He says, Titus, if they got a problem with that, if they're not living up to that, he says, remind them. And at the same time, Titus, remind yourself of where you were before God got a hold of you and what made you righteous. And we can read about that in verses 3 through 7. For we also... Once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, and being justified by his grace, that we may be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you understand, folks, that because of what Christ did for us, we will reign with him one day? The gift we have been given is unbelievable. And Paul is saying, if it gets a little tough to treat people with consideration, (laughs) if it gets a little tough to continue to do those good deeds that your light may shine, that people have glorified God in heaven, if it gets a little tough, remember where you're at before Jesus got you. Remember that you were on the highway to hell. No, it's not a song. It's the truth. Remember that and live accordingly. Don't be a Christian in name only. Don't be a righteous person in name 
only. Righteous truth number two. You ready? Each day we are to look more and more like Jesus. And this is a process. It takes time. And it's not easy. There's another fellow in the Bible who did a pretty good job at being just. It's Christmas Eve after all. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 1. First book of the New Testament. New things. Look at verses 18 and 19. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And you expect it to get all happy, happy, joy, joy, right? Words Phil Robertson, happy, happy, happy. Well, something, <laughs> Jesus didn't start happy, happy, happy here, all right? What happens next? When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, what's that? A just man. Same word. Righteous man. And not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Now, that's not talking about throwing her into the closet, all right? No, this is divorce. You see, they weren't quite yet husband and wife. It's a little different. Back then... In that society, in that time, when you were engaged, you were already husband and wife, but you just did not share the marriage bed. And all the men were like, huh? (laughs) It's like, whoa. So I'm married to her, but we don't share a room. I'm glad they changed that one. (laughs) Oh, come on. You know you are. All right. So they are basically husband and wife, but they have not yet brought their marriage together in physical union. Folks, we cannot overlook this detail in the nativity story. Mary came back from her family vacation. Yes, she left. She found out she was going to have a child, and and incredible that this young woman took that burden upon herself. Gabriel himself came and brought that message. Gabriel, people. The, he's not the backup, all right? He is the messenger of God. He doesn't show up real often in our Bible story. When he shows up, big things are happening. And he shows up and tells Mary the plan. And what's Mary do? She skips town. (laughs) She's like, yes, I'll do it. So she goes and sees Elizabeth, her like second aunt type thing, you know? And Elizabeth's pregnant too, and she's like 158 years old. Maybe not quite that old, but she's old. She's too old to be having a baby, but but she is having a baby, and he would become John the Baptist. All right, so all this is going on, and Mary's like, wow, and this is... And then she's like, I got to go back home. And she goes back home. Joseph gives her a hug, and he's like, 
uh, what did Elizabeth feed you? You put some weight on, gal. <laughs> and he realizes Mary's pregnant. Joseph had every right to be furious. This is his wife. He saved himself for her. What's she doing? Hope you had quite a vacation, huh? <laughs> and it says, I mean, these are Joseph's options at this point, all right? Because Joseph is a righteous man. His fiancée is pregnant, not by his child. These are the options. He can ruin her. Oh, yeah, he can ruin her. He can ruin everything about her, or he can just walk away. And because Joseph is a righteous man, he chooses to walk away. He could have ruined her, but he didn't. And we know, of course we know the rest of the story. Joseph had made his mind up, and then an angel, not Gabriel, but an angel shows up in a dream and says, Joseph, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Mary has done nothing wrong. Matter of fact, she is incredibly favored before God, and she's been chosen. Think for a moment about what Joseph going along with this cost him. His reputation. Mary's pregnant. What are the people going to say? He's either an immoral man or he's a patsy. She got pregnant while she was engaged to him. And he says it's not his child. But Joseph, being a righteous man, he took his place in the greatest story ever told. I'm not sure how great the story looked as of right now, though. Okay, put yourself in the neighbor's positions. Would you believe Joseph and Mary? Yeah, she, she's still a virgin. Come again? Uh, my mama and daddy told me the birds and the bees, okay? All right? Uh, she's having a baby, all right? Didn't matter to Joseph, though. He was a righteous man, and he took his place in the story. Joseph was just right to be the earthly guardian of God's son. So what do we do with this righteous thing? When we come to Jesus, we are made righteous before God. But that's not the end of the story. We are called to be a righteous people. C.S. Lewis put it in a much better way than I could ever 
describe. And those of you who are in the Romans class on our, on our Wednesday nights, you will have heard me talk about this before. Just because I can't think of a better way to describe this than the way C.S. Lewis describes it. And I want you to listen very closely, okay? Because this is what righteousness means to us as God's people. When God looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. Do you understand that? On your worst day, the days that you don't even pray to Him because you feel so guilty, God sees Jesus. Take that Christmas miracle in for a moment, all right? When we meet God one day face to face, oh yeah, he will see you, but what he will see more is who's within you. Who's within you? Jesus. So what's Jesus doing now? Is his job done because his cross is behind him? No, Jesus is still working and working hard. And according to C.S. Lewis, I love the way he puts it, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And Jesus stands beside us each and every day, turning us more and more into himself. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves, not on a yearly basis, on a daily basis. Do I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? That's righteousness. And that's what God desires from us. All right. We're going to pray and we're going to close things down today. Don't take off when I get done praying, though. A couple of things for you. A couple of little instructions, all right? Before we get there, folks, what I want us to ponder. What is it? I mean, I cannot believe it. A week from today is New Year's Eve. I told you this is a daily basis thing, but it's not New Year's Eve every day, okay? It's just not. And for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a period of time now, we this week have to honestly ask ourselves this question. It is December of 2017. December. It seems like yesterday it was January of 2017. And a year from now, we'll be saying the same thing. This is the question. Do I look more like Jesus today than I did January 1st, 2017? What have I done with this year to become more like Jesus? Am I treating people like Jesus wants me to treat people? 
Am I sacrificing for my family the way Jesus wants me to sacrifice for my family? Am I leading in my family the way Jesus wants me to lead? Am I talking about Jesus the way he wants me to talk about himself? Do I look like Jesus? And a year from now, when we ask that question again, wouldn't it be incredible to honestly look at our past year and say, yes. Yes. Well, let's go to work on it. Would you stand with us, please? The Lord's working on your heart in any way whatsoever. If you realize maybe you need to look a little more like Jesus at work, at home, at school, wherever it might be. Don't leave here without taking that motivation to somebody. Whether it's me or JB or one of the elders up here or somebody else here. Don't leave. The Lord has that on your thought process right now. And maybe perhaps you have never started this Jesus relationship thing. Maybe the end of 2017 is time to get into the water. And turn it around. And get ready to meet God face to face. Because you're going to do it. You'll be ready for it. Whatever the Lord's working on you about. Don't leave here without talking to somebody about it. Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much, Lord, for your call in our life. We thank you, Lord, that we have been, those of us who have come and fallen down before the cross, who've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, we've been made new, righteous, whole, just, Lord. And it, it blows our minds. That's the gift of Christmas and we thank you for it, Lord. Father, help us be Jesus to the world that desperately needs Jesus. That's our prayer. We've got another year ahead of us very soon, Lord. Let's make it the year that you shine through us. You help us to be a light, to bring others to salvation and build disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name.